Hello, and welcome to Into the Void with Will Adolfi. Today I spoke with Thomas Brosnan. Thomas is an addiction specialist, child psychotherapist, and founder of Thought-Based Therapy. I met Thomas working at a school, and each conversation I have with him, I feel like I walk away a different person, so I had to get him on. And here he is. We cover addiction, our relationship with thoughts, outsourcing well-being, and lots more. He really is filled to the brim with wisdom. This one's a good and I hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, Thomas Brosnan. Thomas Brosnan. Hi. <laughs> How are we doing? We got going eventually. Thank you so much, man, for firstly just giving me your time. It's cool. Finally, um, we got some time to <laughs> squeeze yeah. something in. Exactly. I know you're a busy man, but I've been really excited about this. Yeah, no, likewise. Nervously excited. <laughs> yeah. Good, it is a bit weird, isn't it? We clip record, but the reason I've been so excited is because you are someone who I think, I can't think of anyone else who's had more of an impact on my life. Really? Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> I'm being dead serious. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. And I'd love for people to get to know you, what you're about, what you're doing. But yeah, the important work, and I see it as being extremely important because every time we have a chat, and sometimes it is in a moment of crisis, (laughs) I always leave the chat with a new perspective on things. And part of the reason why I think is because you everything that you say is weighted with experience. It's personal. You've been there. You've lived through it. Yeah. You've got what you've learned and you've put it into practice. Yeah. And I can see just how incredible it's been in your life. So I'd love to talk today a bit about that, a bit about you, but I guess we could start at what it, what it is that you do right now with your, your job <laughs> and everything, you know, yeah. with your practice. I'm, I'm a therapist uh, specialising in, in addiction, mainly, and behaviour. Uh, I come from a background in teaching, 17 years. Um, you know, state schools, private schools, colleges, um, pros. Um, but always, always worked with, you know, children and young people who struggle to flourish in mainstream environments for whatever the reason, personal, social, academic, you know, whatever. And that's kind of been a natural progression really for me to to go into therapy. I never planned to be a teacher. I never planned to be a therapist, but sometimes life just takes a path that that we follow and and we enjoy it and we embrace it and we end up where we do. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, Just this this academic year is quite, quite significant for me because this is the first September now where I haven't actually gone back to school. So I'm not full-time teaching anymore. This was part of my five-year plan to transition out of, of teachings. Over the last five years, I've reduced my hours in the classroom, but increased my hours in the therapy room. So it's got to that point now where they've just kind of nicely um, overlapped and yeah. here I am now September 2020 full-time full-time therapist so I've I'm establishing my own company thought-based therapy um, so check us out Instagram Facebook all yeah the, the links will be there. in the <laughs> podcast description for sure yeah nice. I just put that out there <laughs> yeah. um, but now it's, it's going well you know what in life sometimes we need to make that we need to take that plunge we need to make that decision you know are we going to stay static and be where we were at 15 years old or are we going to evolve as, as life would have it. So yeah, I am. And I'd rather do it and try and see than, than not. And I think that that's what kind of life's about, really. That's what my, my ethos, my philosophy, like, let's just do it and see how it works. And if it doesn't, then at least we give it a try, you know? So, so that's where I'm at. Great. Let's talk thought-based therapy. Let's yeah. talk about that a bit more, because what is thought-based therapy? Why, why did you decide to call it that? Well, how I kind of work is... Is, is from the premise of thought, you know? Everything comes back to thought. Whatever way you look at it, however you trace it, you know, everything comes back to thought. We live in a thought-based reality. Thought creates our experience. So without thought, we wouldn't have anything. Mm. Zero experience. From what we taste, what we smell, what we choose to wear, 
um, you know, who we're attracted to, mm. which way we swipe, which <laughs> way we drive, which way we anything, everything comes back to thought. It completely does. So in my work as an addiction therapist, you know, somebody's choice, and I say a choice to use, you know, and I say use in the context of drugs, alcohol, shopping, gambling, sex, whatever. Somebody makes a choice and that choice is based on thought. Mm. So for me, having a thought-based approach to therapy is, is for me the only way it really is because in my work I address the source I go to the source of the problem or a person's concerns or issues because not to not do that you're just addressing surface um, you know stuff and it's a bit like the iceberg isn't it you know 11% is above the water and that's the surface stuff and that's fine we can work with that we can address that but until you explore the 89% that's below the water a person in my opinion is never really going to get well because you have to go to the source anything else is as I always say it's like putting a plaster on a wet hand it's only going to work for so long you know so that that's where that's where the thought-based approach comes from I remember we were at school once we were just getting to know each other that that's where we met school yeah and it was, I was in the toilet. <laughs> we were having a little, uh, uh, as men do in the toilet, <laughs> yeah, having a little talk. Um, and you, you, you asked me a question because we, we kept having these really lovely, like intense kind of profound discussions, but we were on the move yeah. between them. Quite informal meetings. Yes. Yeah, yeah. In the toilet. <laughs> Don't tell anyone else. Or, Have you thought about your thoughts? Um, yeah. And you asked me a question and you said, what's the most important relationship in your life? Yeah. And I said, I think my girlfriend at the time or my mum, one of the two, I can't remember. What I said to you was the most important relationship in your life. Who is it with or what is it with? Yes, that's yeah. what you said. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I said that and then you said, mm. <laughs> in truth, sensei form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and you said, how about, what about, the relationship with you and your thoughts. And I was like, what? Relationship with my thoughts? Well, we broke it down by levels because you said like your girlfriend, your mum, you know, family. And I said, okay, so what about the relationship with yourself? Have you considered that? And then you, you kind of sat with that for a minute. And I said, okay, so that, when you got that, when you understood that concept, I was like, all right, now let's take it down another level now. Let's go a little bit deeper. Mm. What about the relationship you have with your thoughts? And then he was like... Yeah, and that because I never because I obviously you've heard relationship with yourself, but I'd never heard relationship with my thoughts. Yeah. That felt more specific and intimate and so simple, mm. yet so profound. Yeah. And I'd never heard anyone yet so often overlooked. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And this is where it comes from because thought is invisible. We often relate our wellness to something external. A person a place or a thing but the way I see things is that the minute we attach I mean I know we spoke in great deal about attachments as well but the minute we attach our our well-being our our well-being on something external that's when we become detached from ourselves mm. you know and we've spoke as well about outsourcing our well-being oh, God, and what yeah. we also spoke about the other week as well was insourcing you know knowing that we have everything inside us knowing that we are good enough we are lovable individuals that we don't need to outsource our well-being to seek gratification validation whatever from anyone or anything because we are good enough but that's kind of like the illusion the trap that we fall into mm. it's the way we're conditioned in life you know that our happiness exists out there where you know we're never going to find the answer in a in a wrap or a bottle or a joint or whatever no but the more we think we do, the more we will look there and use more to hopefully get that feeling. But it never happens. It's it's a false promise, mm. you know. So that's where it it kind of comes from. Thinking about the relationship that you have with your thoughts, because from those thoughts that you have, it's almost like you'll have some thinking that occurs. Well, I could do this or I could do that. So yeah, how scary that is for some people 
who find it very hard to sit alone with their thoughts mm. and feel the emotion that comes from the thoughts and the thinking around the thoughts. And it's very hard, would you say, in today's world with children particularly coming up in a world that's governed by smartphones and whenever you're bored, you outsource in a way, right? Mm. That's kind of the environment that kids are being brought up in. I mean, how can we teach young people, which is what I think that you're doing, um, and maybe talk a little bit about, if you could, some of the iHeart principles that you were telling me about, and mm. I'd love to del- dive into that a little bit, because that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, well, the work, you know, you're, you're quite right. A lot of work I do is with young people, and that's how I got into you know, becoming a therapist, is through my teaching, working with uh, you know, children, 12 years, 13, 14, 15, 16, and, and sixth form and things like that. And that's where the iHeart, you know, work is so, so uh, amazing. And I would direct people to, to find out more as well to the iHeart Principles website, mm-hmm. iHeartPrinciples.com. And I know we're going to, you know... Um, the link will be in the yeah, description, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is which is super um, essential. But, you know, I, I just to briefly give an overview you know the i heart work is so important for for helping young children understand their psychological system you know it's the one thing that's not taught in schools but the one thing that needs to be mm. absolutely in the curriculum but it, it works on the premise that you know we have everything we need inside us and that's the message that we that we share with children so that they don't need to outsource but they have the awareness of how to you know, be able to know what they have within them. Yeah. And you used a really good analogy of the beach. Do you mind just saying that again? Because in one of your workshops, I thought that was so powerful and simple. The beach, yeah. So it's it's almost like where we speak about how going to the beach, people can have different experiences of it. Just like going to a theme park or being on a roller coaster or where we've, you know, done a conference recently as well with the school. Uh, and uh, you know I was asked to go on stage and, and, and give a talk yeah. so that was quite nerve wracking but for some people they might actually not find going on stage and speaking at a conference nerve wracking they might be take to it like a duck to water just the way some people might like the beach some people might love the sand some people might not just the same with the sunshine people might love the sun other people might yeah. think oh no it's too hot I need to stay indoors <laughs> so it's about having having a completely different experience of a circumstance how two people can do that and that's what I was trying to point out there in that matter was the fact that you know we can both let's say go to a restaurant and have the same meal but have a completely different experience of it you might love the food I might really not like it and if that thinking of yours was a truth well hang on a minute I like it so why doesn't everybody like it you know that's gonna limit you that's gonna restrict you because you're going to end up arguing with somebody because they don't see your point of view. Mm. But the minute you come to appreciate the fact that, you know, you can think differently to somebody and you guys can still get along, that's what removes any potential kind of misunderstandings. Mm. You know, that's what helps to keep you or I or anybody, you know, safe and secure in their well-being, knowing that we can have a difference of opinion. You might like the beach and I might not, but that's cool. You know, you might like pesto pasta with goat's cheese and spinach halloumi but thank you <laughs> <laughs> you know um so it's so yeah it's just i guess it's just appreciating that difference isn't it of opinion yeah. but just because we have a difference of opinion it doesn't mean that we can't get along it doesn't mean that we can't be friends and oh, yeah. I, I think once that's realized then you know it can be it can be just so much more harmonious for everybody involved mm. yeah that's such a great point because that is a huge issue today the fact that if we disagree on something, we tend to focus more on the one thing that we disagree on amongst the sea of things that we most definitely do agree on. I'm yeah. sure any person. So when you think about how people in that instance might get into an argument or a disagreement, um, or there might be some blurred lines, people then choose to go and kind of act out or use on those emotions because they don't know what else to do with them. Somebody's disagreed with me, so, all right, 
F them, whatever, you know, I'm just going to go and have a drink and forget about it. But then that drink, this is where I'm talking about now, that whole thought process, that's where it, it comes from. So that's the source, is that argument. But if you know that whatever someone says or does doesn't have the power to take away mm. your well-being, then you're going to be much more secure in yourself. So this is what I'm saying, it all comes from thoughts, you know. So when, you, when you're asking me again about where it all comes from, my understanding of this, you know, came from when I was introduced to something called the three principles. And I know we spoke about this as well. But a long time ago, like 2011, I was kind of introduced to it. And then again in 2013, I got reacquainted with it. 2016, we kind of connected again. And then, and then again in 2019, when I came across iHeart, um, you know, thanks to Joe Gilbert as well. Um, so I've got to take time and, and big up her as well, because yeah. if I hadn't met her, I wouldn't have, chances are I wouldn't have, have, have known about iHeart. And, and the program's changed my life, it really has. But it, it's, 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 it's all kind of one and the same. It, it's, it's all thought, you know, it's part of the three principles, mind, consciousness and thought. So that's where it kind of comes from. But I mean, my life before then, pff, I didn't know how life worked. I thought I did, you know, I was growing up you know, smoking and drinking like everybody else, thinking that that was the way to solve our problems, you know, mm. had a shit day at work, have a drink, you know, had a, had a break up, whatever, have a drink, you know, have a spliff, have some food, whatever. But that's, that's not how life works. It's really not. And I see that now. So being able to be in this position to give back and to help people, um, that for me is huge. It really is. It's so humbling. It really is to really understand the struggles and strains that people go through and be able to be in a position to make a difference. I don't see it as, a, as, as work, I don't see it as a job or a career, I see it as, as a vocation, as a calling, I really do, I feel like this is my why that we spoke about, my purpose is to be able to, to be in the position to give back and I'm just grateful to be able to help the people that I can, so. What was the turning point for you? Because it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, for many years you were, these unconscious behaviour patterns were manifesting um, mm. through these unconscious thoughts that you were having going around in a loop, negative kind of thoughts. Mm. And then clearly there was a moment where you became aware mm. and started to take a different path. Mm. And I'm just wondering whether it was a genuinely a moment or it was a series of things or something that you did. I know you mentioned you did the uh, Alan Carr yeah. which I did as well, yeah. which is incredible. I want to sort of plug that right now. If yeah. you are thinking of stopping drinking... Or smoking. Or smoking. Or have, or <laughs> yeah. have an issue with food or flying, yes. then Chris Hay at Alan Carr, he's your man. Yeah. And just to clarify, it's not Alan Carr, the comedian. Some people do think that. No, it's yeah. Alan Carr. Yeah, uh, brilliant. Alan Carr, easy way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that yeah. was the turning point for me, you know? Um Oh, how can I put it? So yeah, in, in 20, 2011, I got introduced to, you know, Alan Carr's Easy Way, Stop Smoking, that's when I stopped smoking. And I read the book and the book don't work for some people. And I, I had the opportunity to do the one day course and I did. And you know what? I haven't smoked um, a cigarette that since, you know, 30th of June, 2011. So yeah, all good. <laughs> Keep going, buddy, I do man. remember that day. It's quite, quite a pivotal point, point in my life. But in 2013, I went back to see Alan Carr because like we say, you know, with um, drugs and alcohol. So I went back to see Alan Carr to address some, some concerns I had around that. And that was where like Chris, my, my therapist there, he introduced me to um, a guy called Jamie Smart, who, whose book at the time was called Clarity. All right. Now, there's a, a smaller version of that called the Little Book of Clarity. Now, that's what I read. And that's really where I kind of took took note of the three principles that I speak, speak of, mind, consciousness and thought. And then along with Jamie, there was some other authors that were recommended that I read as well. One of them was a guy called Jack Pranksky a book, if I'm not mistaken now, because it was a long time ago, I think the book is titled Somebody Should Have Told Us. Or no, something we'll similar. get it in the description, yeah. Yeah, and there was another book as well by Michael Neal called The Inside Out Revolution. And that was just like, wow. It was at that point from working with Jamie and going on one of his or a couple of his courses and reading his book, from reading the Jack Pranksky book and then the Michael Neal book, that kind of, that, that trio there was just like wow i have been getting life so wrong mm. so wrong and at that point in 2013 i was kind of 
in a bit of a break. I was in a breakup from from a relationship. Uh, so that was my turning point, really. That was my turning point. And that was like seven years ago. And the last seven years for me have been like, wow. I now see life in a much more, excuse me, fizzy water, <laughs> bringing me up some wind. Um, but no, I now I see life in a much more clearer way. I see it through a lens that I haven't seen before. Like I have an understanding about how life works, how life actually works, rather than how I thought it seemed to work. You know, by having to depend on food or drugs or alcohol or somebody esteeming me or somebody validating my existence. Like, I don't need that. I really don't. And this is what iHeart helped me to appreciate is that I do have everything I need inside me. And it's such, it's just, the message is just so simple, so clear. So to be able to, to share this work with young people and, you know, it's about prevention. And this is another reason why I love iHeart so much is because the work that we do is about prevention, you know, preventing young people's emotional fires from starting at such a young age that they don't kind of turn into and manifest into these blazing rages and infernos that I see in a lot of my adult clients, Mm. you know. So it's very, very important that, especially when it comes to mental wellness, that we have an opportunity to prevent fires from starting in the younger generation so whatever's happening for them they're able to deal with and navigate their way through life in a much more manageable meaningful and healthier ways where they don't grow up dependent on something or Mm. someone oh man that's so powerful and so important so in a sense knowledge was power for you it was the first step towards having an awareness that you looked at your life suddenly in a different way and you thought, oh, I don't like the path I'm on. No. It was like somebody put a mirror in front of me. Yes. And that's, that's like something I do. I use that because I know what works for me. Mm. And I'd never, ever claim to have answers for anybody I work with. I may suggest things. I may offer, you know, literature. I may present ideas but I do believe that we all have our own answers everything resides within us like my answers I had to find deep in me but it took an amazing therapist who I worked with for many years personally and obviously the work I did with Jamie and the books I read and everything else to really enable me to to look at myself Mm. and later on like you know, 2016, that's when I did my master's in addiction psychology and counselling. And that for me just was like, wow, it really was. I had so much self-awareness, so much understanding from those three years. And even doing like my dissertation, which I examined parenting and cannabis use Mm. uh, and metacognitions and combined all of those together. And I didn't know it at the time, but the idea that I had had never been thought of before. That paper that I produced was, was, was yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was emotional to write. It really was because it brought up so much. It was like my whole journey on paper, and and when I shared it with my supervisor, you know, he told me he wanted to publish it, and I was like, what? He's like, no one's ever thought about this before. No, really. So to write a world first. Mm. That was huge. Let's dive into that. That was huge. Let's dive into because that. Because that, again, when you talk about my journey, so being introduced, you know, to Chris at Alan Carr, him then introducing me to Jamie, to the books of Jack, to the books of Michael, for me then to, you know, live that experience, to see the world in a completely different lens and to live life through that lens. And then, you know, to do my master's, to meet Joe, to get introduced to iHeart, you know, to become a full-time therapist now. It's been, it's, been, it's been an amazing journey and I'm fascinated, truly fascinated by what else there is still to discover. I really am. Before we jump into your work, mm. um, what you just said there really made me see it in a different way. Do you feel like this path, you could call it, dare I say it, destiny, you could say it was your intuition, but do you feel like you would have been able to follow this path that you were on if you had been still addicted to alcohol or substances or whatever it was 
that you were using to get you through the painful moments in life was it like if you're if you're medicating yourself this is what i'm trying to say if you're if you go for a tough moment in your life and you're outsourcing during those moments to get you through then it's kind of like you veer off this path that you're actually meant to be on yeah um and instead of staying on that path you veer off and you kind of go down this other path or you become inactive you're not moving so it sounds like as soon as you unhook that you had this you became empowered which is what you've done to me you've you've made me feel empowered is that is that in the right am i in the right it's the it's the insights that occurred but i wasn't ever addicted to alcohol you know that that wasn't really my thing you know I, i i did i smoked weed profusely right for probably best part of my life really for like 23 24 years i smoked weed pretty much every day so right. weed was more my thing alcohol wasn't really my thing yeah um but it was it was the insights that i had you know from from meeting chris and then being as i said introduced to those people and then where that where that path took me so no i wouldn't i don't think i would have seen what i saw yeah had i been on that path you know <sighs> that's so beautiful to know that you could say that that's there for everyone mm. if they're willing to and just one thing i will mention that you you mentioned in your therapy you like to reflect mm. back onto the client mm. uh, and that reminds me of something you say all the time you can only help people help themselves mm. and that's what you're doing and that's what i feel like you've done for me which has been so useful i work with visualizations and you said to me during a, a tough moment it's kind of like you have two paths right one of them is the path you've been taking for 26 years. Mm. And I know that path. Yeah. Ends. Like self-sabotage and despair. And the other path, which I've never taken, is the path of fulfillment, I guess, compassion, but it's unknown. Mm. So why do you think, you talk, if we could talk about a bit the hurdles that people, because once they overcome the, the first hurdle in mm. addiction therapy, you were telling me that, that's the hardest part, right? Mm. Is is di- like actually taking the sort of first step into mm. the unknown. Mm. But why are we so scared of the unknown? Because we don't know what's on the other side. Yeah. All we know is what we know. Yeah. That's it. And you only know what you know. In the words of Mr. Rumsfeld, if I if I remember Chris correctly, there. Um, yeah, we only know what we know and anything else is foreign it's unfamiliar and by default we don't want to go there we don't want to try it mm. if you imagine as a child and you got like a first food to try and add that on that now just the look of it the taste of it or not even the taste really the smell it's looked the way it looks how you know it, uh, the idea of it can put you off and that's the same thing when a person takes that first step to go into recovery it's the idea of it that can be so daunting. So the thought of it can mm. be so distressing that it's just like, no, I don't want to do that. Wow. So sometimes even having a thought about going into recovery is a goal for somebody. You know, for some people, the goal might be to actually pick up the phone and, and seek help, you know, to go on the internet and look at counselling directory or Harley therapy, you know, one of the platforms. And that could be a goal for somebody who's actually making that phone call. But for somebody, the goal, I mean, we spoke about the cycle of change before contemplation, oh, yes. pre-contemplation. So that could be a goal for somebody is actually to, to, to actually think about taking that first step. Let's just talk a little bit for anyone that doesn't know what we mean by the cycle of change. Could you maybe elaborate on that? Because it was so useful. So it's a model by um, Di Clemente. And, and it talks about the cycle of change, how a person enters that cycle of change. So you have like different stages, contemplation, pre-contemplation, contemplation, maintenance, and it moves around. And it's where people are at on that cycle, you know, taking action in the next six months, have taken action in the last six months, you know, maintaining that abstinence um, mindset, what one does to maintain, you know, abstinence, whether it's attending, you know, one-to-one therapy, group sessions, support networks, going to a meeting, you know what what people do and then obviously it's looking at when the person may relapse as well what happens around that relapse and it's a cycle do you use that and you'll have you do you get the cycle of change mm. up and does it do you find it helps to have a visual representation kind of make sense of where they're at yeah and where they could be going yeah Is that and where they've been 
because people say you know what you should never look back but I'm like why not because for me when somebody looks back and don't get me wrong you know the past um, is an awful awful place to live Mm. but it's an amazing place to reflect it really is so I often reflect about the past because it's it's a reminder of how far a person has come in their journey to where they are now because I know for me right now where I'm at on this day I know the person I am today is not who I was seven years ago ten years ago and it's certainly not who I'm going to be in the next ten years time seven years time either so it's all about knowing where you are in this present moment and how you've got here so using the graphic the cycle of change helps people to pinpoint where they've been where they are where they would like to go to and the work i do is very solution focused it's very goal orientated so a person has to have an idea of where they want to go mm. and that's what we do we start with the end in mind it's the same thing with my teaching if a young person came to me you know in year 10 and they was doing their options and they wanted to take construction and then we would look at their career path what they might want to do they have an idea that they want to be a plumber or an electrician okay so look here's the qualification here's what you need to be a plumber and electrician let's start putting the steps in place now so you can achieve that it's the same way when a, a same model when the person i work with comes in and they and they make an inquiry about wanting some support so what are your goals where do you want to go how do you know that therapy will have worked for you so we look at their their goals and we establish what their what their future looks like mm. and we have like three three clear goals keep it simple i always believe in the power of three as well so three clear goals and let's work towards them so if one of them is to achieve abstinence if one of them is to reduce you know one of them might be you know to achieve a personal aspiration that they've had but the barrier has been using so in order to achieve that aspiration you know the reducing needs uh, sorry the using needs to be reduced so it's always about starting with the end in mind and that's what graphics that's what illustrations you know and I'm, I'm a very visual person as well I like to have my flip chart or have my whiteboard and be able to draw things mm. even now where we've been working online for the last kind of five six months has been really helpful because on, on you know zoom and I can share screen and I can share images like with you we did the FedEx logo oh yes as well and that goes to highlight the power of symbolism see you know we we attach to symbols we attach to images they're so powerful we are much more able to to see something in a picture in an image in a graphic than we are to appreciate the verbal kind of discourse that somebody may have when they're trying to put their point across so yeah it's always used even when it comes to to feelings and checking in at the beginning of a session I don't always do a check in some people are you know completely avoidant of feelings which is fine things that we can work towards but there's some people that really struggle to pinpoint a feeling an emotion and it's for me it's more about what somebody doesn't say than what they do so I have I have another image called the wheel of emotion so you've got your core emotions in there and then around in the inner circle then around that inner circle you've got a different circle where feeding off of those core emotions you've got different ones and then on the outside circle you've got different ones again so you've got three circles and that helps people to really understand the source of where their feelings are coming from because everyone can come in to a session or you can check someone one of your friends how you doing today yeah i'm good i'm fine Mm. but are you really (laughs) you know how are you actually doing today so when you show somebody this like this wheel of emotion they actually say you know what i'm not actually happy yeah i'm actually quite sad and then what's driving that sadness we look to the middle circle and then what's driving that we look to the outer circle so then what what's happened that's driving that so this helps us to get to the source and this is what i'm saying it's all about going to the source mm. unless we do like i said it's just like putting a plaster on a wet hand god that's so yeah it it made me think of when you talk about it's about cultivating understanding your why you know and that's something you really 
helped me out with with the alcohol thing you mm. got me to write down one word in mm. when we were in nando's mm. um one, one <laughs> word. <laughs> love nando's oh yeah can't remember what i had actually i think it was definitely something chicken related obviously Are you sure um, yeah <laughs> chicken <laughs> nando's well, no, sometimes i do go for that no, anyway <laughs> i love halloumi so you got me to write down one word on a piece of paper. Hello me. <laughs> Hello me. <laughs> Hello me. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, sorry. Uh, this is a serious podcast. Back on track. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you got me to write down one word on a piece of paper that was you at your best, mm. me at my best. Yeah, what does it feel like when you're at your best? Right, thank you. Yeah, and I put down energy. And then what did you get me to do? You turned it around. You what said, seems to get in the way of you feeling this? Okay. And one of them was alcohol. So what you did for me there, which was so simple and so effective, was you made it clear to me why I, I would stop alcohol. Yeah. You cultivated a why. I had a reason to stop. Because yeah. maybe that's it. Some people don't have a reason to stop or they don't feel like they have a reason to yeah. stop because they don't have that awareness that yeah. it's actually getting in the way. Maybe it's something like that. But I just, before we go on to your paper... Can we dive into addiction in a bit more detail? I'd like to just talk about and ask you some questions. Mm. What do you? Why do you think people get addicted? Why? Why? Why are we addicted to things? Sixty-four million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. But you are. You This is your special. Uh, you know, you're a specialist in this. Yeah. I just. I really wanted. What? Why do you think we are constantly outsourcing? But this is a question that gets asked all the time. And to be honest with you, I think it's I think it's truly different for everybody. And no matter what I say, I mean, this is my opinion. It's what I feel. You know, it's my perspective. But everybody's going to have a different right. a different reason. But I think fundamentally, you know, people become dependent on a behaviour or a substance because of how it makes them feel. And if you think about the brain and our reward kind of circuitry system how that works uh it's 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 how it's about the feeling how how it makes somebody feel mm. so again for everybody there's different feelings that are desired different urges that people have some people act on them some people are a bit more self-disciplined and don't some people have different levels of struggles, strains, trauma. Yeah. But the one thing I don't, I mean, you know, you ask, ask this question and it's an amazing question. It really is. And like I said, it's a question that everybody asks and everybody has their own, their own opinion on it. It's so subjective. But to bring it back to, to Gabor Mate as well, uh, you know, he, he and, I, and I love his work. I absolutely do. And if you know, people are curious or interested, they should just YouTube Gabor Mate, really. One of the world's, or if not the world's leading um, kind of authorities on addiction and trauma. But he says in his work, he doesn't ask why the addiction, but where's the pain? And it's really quite a simple yet powerful statement. Because in my work, what I come across is a lot of discomfort, is a lot of pain that people struggle to sit with and I was one of them and I did outsource you know to food to cannabis uh, so it's it, it's just it depends on the individual it really does but I do feel that unbeknown, maybe unbeknown to the person at the time why you know the why mm. they choose to do what they do but on some level some deep psychological level what they are doing is not allowing themselves to sit with that pain mm. what they are doing is self-medicating self-soothing to to take that pain away but it doesn't that's what we believe that's what we're told it's how we're conditioned that life works what society would tell us you know had a shit day at work I would say to my friend like yeah like, do you want to go down the pub have a drink forget all about it yeah you know, it's what it's what we're born into. It's what we're grown into. But until we have that insight, until we have that moment of intervention where we realise, you know what? Wow, it doesn't actually have to be like this. What do you mean? Life doesn't work like this. So I've thought all these years that life works like this. Like we have to do this in order to feel that, and we don't. Wow, 
that was that light bulb moment that I speak about with Jamie and Chris and all those other fantastic authors. So yeah. What do you think we should be teaching our children about pain then? Essentially that it's an inevitable part of life and that it's, it's going to happen from yeah. time to time. Life goes up and life goes down. It really does. But learning how to navigate, you know, learning how to weather the storms, like that, that's what's important. It really is. That's what's important. Uh, and again, you know, bringing the, 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 the focus back to iHeart and young people, it is, it is the, it is the answer. It is the missing piece of the jigsaw, of the mental health jigsaw puzzle. You know, iHeart is that missing piece. Mm. It really is. One of the most pro, like it was just very had a powerful impact on me. One of the things you said to me during the last few months when I have really struggled, you said, life's not happening to you. Mm. It's happening for you. Mm. I've heard that before. I think maybe Tony Robinson. It was, you were almost there. I said to you, yeah, please. because a lot of people fall into the victim mode, the victim mentality, and you was talking about the breakup that you were experiencing. Yeah. And I was really getting the impression that you was kind of slipping into that victim oh, mentality, yeah. like, why is this happening to me? Yeah. Why is this happening to me? And so many people that I work with ask me that same question. Why is this happening to me? And that's where you know, dependence can, can really kick in. And that's where, a, you know, a behavior, a seemingly innocent behavior, let's say like having a glass of wine after work, you know, like most people do, most people go to the pub, but it's when it becomes habitual rather than recreational, mm. when it becomes dependent, you know, when it becomes a means of coping as rather a means of socializing. And this is where people fall into that trap or thinking, like, you know, why me, poor me. So in order to avoid that, in order to be aware of that, it's understanding, like, the, the question. So asking yourself, not why is this happening to me, but why is this happening for me? That's the way I put it to you. So it's a much more empowering perspective to have because when we know why things are happening for us, we're much more able to learn and grow from that experience as opposed to being in that victim mentality. And it's, it's a very, as I said, it's very empowering and it's a very person first language. And that's, again, an approach that I use in my work is about empowering a person to know that they are lovable, to know that they are enough, to know that they have everything they need inside them and they do not need to outsource, but more in source mm -hmm. to be truly aware of what they have the capabilities that they that they contain within and that that's that that shift in perspective that awareness that understanding is how hopefully what i um what i want to bring to people's lives is is the opportunity for them to really see how life works and not be a victim but be you know a coach for themselves mm -hmm. be you know, a parent for themselves, really look after themselves. Parent, yeah, parenting yourself, that's, that's what it, because I think it all links together, but definitely has tilted me away from bitterness and resentment mm. towards kind of compassion and mm. love. And within that, it just deepens your connection with life mm. and everyone around you and yourself. Mm. And... So I just want to thank you for that, actually, because I honestly don't know what, what I would have done without you there to pass on these insights that you've learned from your experiences. And that's why I, I wanted to do this podcast, because there might be someone out there listening who gets the same sense of insight that I got when in that sort of those dark moments you yeah. were telling me these things. Yeah. And it's just so useful because I do feel like I'm grateful for the last few months yeah. because I've, like you always say, I'm, I was exactly where I needed to be and I've learned everything that I've needed to learn and I wouldn't have it any other way now because yeah. I feel so much more in touch with myself and my sense of being and I have more faith in the universe mm. because 
I'm thinking that it's happening for me, mm. not to me. Mm. So it's that whole, I feel like I'm on taking the other path. Mm. Um, and it's so powerful. I'd like to dive into your paper, though. We haven't really spoken about that. Mm. Could you give us some more information about what it was that made you, you know, go down this path? And actually also tell the listeners what it was about fundamentally. Yeah. Well, just kind of going back to what we touched on before, it was, um, it was kind of like the culmination, really, of all my life my work you know when I did my teaching my dissertation was around my teaching degree my my my, my dissertation was around the benefits um you know of vocational education for 14 to 16 year olds because back then it was almost like you know I'm working with these children I'm engaging with these children they're not you know thriving academically but vocationally you know you we was teaching construction at the time carpentry electrics plumbing you know bricklaying tiling multi-skills course but you know we put you put a tool in this child's hand and they're off you know and and it was amazing to see but they, they were also engaging in some some you know harmful behaviors that like unbeknown to them at the time like they were just smoking a spliff at, at lunchtime like like i did when i was at college yeah you know like most people most of us did we'd go <laughs> out at lunchtime we'd have a little spliff and come back and but anyway long story short it became apparent to me that like you know cannabis was really prevalent in young people's lives and it was really hampering their their prospects so i i kind of looked at that and and it, it was it was kind of it there in the back of my mind like all the time and then when I started to do my masters it was really there as well and it's, it's what I'd always known and we was encouraged to write about what you know talk about what you know and that's what I knew I knew about education I knew about working with um, young people who you know were struggling to flourish and thrive for whatever the reason and, and I knew about cannabis so I and, and I knew about parenting as well through my own experiences and through the relationships and the groups that I had with families and the work that I did. So I, I just put the three of them together. And I really wanted to bring, at that point, like I said, it was a culmination of my work and my life. And I just really wanted to bring those three ingredients together and combine them. And I did two, um, a qualitative and a quantitative piece around that. And then, you know, speaking with my supervisor at university and then it was like, okay, so which one do you want to choose? Because mm -hmm. we had to choose one, a qualitative or a quantitative one. So I, I decided to put all three of them together and, and, and do, um, and do a piece. And that's what it was. So it was about, uh, metacognitions and parenting as predictors of cannabis use. That was the title of the paper. And like I said, it was just, for me it was just questions i was curious man i wanted to know stuff i wanted to understand i wanted to know why so i did and i wrote it and i put the survey out there and we had over like 300 participants for the survey which was huge i was blown away by the interest um and yeah it got published and i was blown away again never expected it to be and like i said i was i was um i was putting together you know, I was my idea had never been thought about before, and you know, I was at the time I was new to the field of research, and there's all these scholars and professors before me, all these you know researchers that I was intrigued by their work, and now they're coming to me and telling me like, oh my god, like why haven't we thought of this? But I don't know. How have you thought of it? I'm like, well, it's just what I know. We were told to write about what we know, so I did. So it's just. It's, it's what I know and it's what I did. So I'm, I'm glad it's been able to inform practice. I really am. As, as, as a, an addiction therapist, I'm, I'm accredited by the Federation of Drug and Alcohol Professionals, FDAP. And they've asked me to, to write a little something for their website about this as well. And the SSA, the Society for the Study of Addiction, they, um, you know, they helped me with a scholarship uh, for one of my years when I was studying as well and you know I've been able to share the work with with them as well so it's good I just want to break it down um, for anyone listening first thing what is a metacognition this is, it's about how we think yeah yeah it's about thinking and this is what I mean it's all about it's all about how we how we think it all comes back to, to thoughts to thought yeah <laughs> the power of thought and so I really enjoyed reading your paper by the way thinking and about your thinking essentially thinking about your thinking oh i do a lot of that yeah i'm an overthinker um yeah I, i've never really read a paper in full um so yours was you know one of the first and it was just there wasn't a word out of place it was very clear but it was fascinating to because 
that's something that's like I have thought about this before, but you you don't see anything out there on it. But so, of course, parenting is influencing our you know metacognitions and the way that we think. And um, what was was there anything that surprised you about your research and what you uncovered? Um, I think the results really. Yeah, I think the results because it was in keeping with studies on tobacco. So there was a correlation between what people think about and, and, the, and the belief and the trust they have in their own judgments. And mm. it was, the, the, the results from my study were very much in keeping with the studies on, on cannabis as well, um, where it comes down to cognitive confidence that people who smoke have very low cognitive confidence and and that was that was the key that was the key finding as well because there are certain metacognitions that are associated with different behaviors with different actions and cognitive confidence was high up there on on, on smoking cannabis and that was um correlated to smoking tobacco as well and it's a belief that one has in their own judgment mm. fundamentally that there is a need to smoke in order to increase that level of confidence to do certain things. So again, it's kind of like outsourcing. Yeah. You know, by having a spliff, by having a cigarette, I will now feel better, more able to go and do X, Y or Z. Yeah. So that that's what kind of um, I I was I was I was pleased because look, no no person does research to not get an answer. No person does research to to not have a favourable outcome. And I was pleased that I did have a favourable outcome. But at the same time, you know, even like some research that I've been involved in, uh, you know, we haven't quite got the outcome we would have hoped for. But what we have found, what we have uncovered, has still helped to fund awareness, has still helped to fund practice. You know, there's always an answer to be had just might not be the answer you was hoping for right you know? so where do you to like would you like to deepen the research that you've done is that would that need more funding has this been the start of people looking into this area more because it seems like such an important area it is and there is a lot out there already yeah i mean my supervisor mark antonio spada you know he is he's you know one of the leading uh kind of researches really when it comes to metacognitions and addiction and I couldn't have you know wished for a better supervisor because to be under his guidance uh, to have his direction uh, to learn from him was huge it really was and it certainly uh, made me thirsty mm. you know I want to do and I will do a follow-up paper to this one undoubtedly because I want it to inform practice and policies in a way that is not already but that cannot just be done on one single paper I need to do more and I will um, and there's another chap uh, Tristan Hamoner in France who is also uh, very um, very astute when it comes to this field as well and he's somebody that uh, I had some support from him when I was writing and somebody who I've been in touch with as well we've kept in touch um, and yeah hopefully looking to collaborate again in the future definitely but at the moment there's there's a piece on exercise addiction that I've been invited to do off the back of of, of my parenting work that's great. Um, and that's going to be published next year I'm currently drafting that at the moment but again you know it, it's a behavioural addiction and behavioural addictions are very different to physical addictions but yet at the same time they're so similar because like what we talked about before it all comes back to the feeling the, the state of mood that it alters so whether we're going and exercising or whether we're going and having a drink or a spliff or a line or whatever it's still a mood altering process yeah, yeah you know yeah do you think there's something in as well because as someone who is smoking right now i know for me it's it gives me something to do so i'm out of my head and i'm having a cigarette so i'm rolling it i'm smoking 
for that brief moment in time, I do feel as if I'm out of my head and not in my thoughts yeah. as such, you know? Yeah. So as, as a parent, yeah, as someone who wants to become one one day and for you, who you are one, yeah. what sort of style do you think is most effective in not giving or influencing addictive behaviours in our in our children do you think well certainly the authoritative parenting style is you know the favoured approach as opposed to let's say authoritative so authoritative is more kind of when when a parent might shout might demand might dictate yeah whereas the authoritative is more nurturing more loving has more warmth yeah so if a child does something that let's say is is unfair or might be deemed as being wrong uh then that child is not scolded berated or you know kind of secluded or isolated or whatever but they're more spoken to to give an understanding well well why did you do that you know and, and, and for the child to have some awareness around what they did and what, again, the why, you know, we bring it back to the why all the time. It's fundamental. Simon Sinek, The Golden Circle. Uh, amazing, amazing, amazing work. But again, it's so, it dominates so much of my work because it does. It has to, you have to understand the source. So when you're talking about parenting, it's understanding why a person does what they do. You know, when a child is shouting, what are they trying to say they just want to be heard so why can't we listen and that's what the authoritative uh, approach the authoritative style of parenting allows is is, is a parent to be able to listen mm. so the child can be heard oh, so important exactly because when a child is not heard like we've, we've often spoke about this as well like when the animal loses um gets strayed from the pack yeah. and the animal's there lying in the wilderness and it might cry out for a little while to be heard but then there will come a point where the animal will, will not cry out anymore because it's fearful that it's going to get found and eaten. So it's natural internal defense mechanisms kick in of how to survive. But what happens is the physiological stress still remains there. So that young cub just learns to cope in that moment. But the, the, the discomfort, that's where the trauma begins. And it's the same thing with, with parenting our young. If, 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 if a young child is not listened to, then they're gonna do what they have to do to survive. Mm -hmm. They might go quiet. They might then turn to, you know, isolating in their room, not coming out. They might turn to eating, whatever. Yeah. So that trauma can begin from a very, very young age and then it can manifest into something much greater yeah, as that, they grow older. That's something I've noticed as well. It's lots of our students will spend the weekend playing games or watching Netflix and of course they are because they haven't got anything else to do mm. but then we end up sometimes demonizing them for doing that oh you're just playing Netflix you're just doing those things but they're doing it to cope in a way mm. to get through that time mm. and because it feels good that's what they know mm. who was it who said it didn't start with you but it can stop with you because mm. that was something you said to me which yeah. I think links into this we're talking in a sense about attachment injury yeah. here, attachment theory. Yeah, so it was Mark, it's Mark Woolen, he wrote that book. Uh, yeah, and that, that's what I mentioned to you. But then on the other side as well, you know, you've got permissive, the permissive style of parenting where a child is kind of allowed to do what it wants to do kind of thing, where there are no boundaries. And this is what I mean, you know, the authoritative parenting style is boundary, it's respectful, it's... It's a two-way street. It's a child is is listened to and heard, and talked to and not shouted to, but yeah. understood, and nurtured and loved and provides you know a, a, a level of warmth and that that's required for a secure upbringing. Um, so when when a child is just allowed to get away with what it wants to, again, it's very unboundaried, and then you've got to think about how 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 the parent, you know. What, what their life is like and how their how their life impacts the child but you know what everyone does their best like I really do believe that it's so difficult being a parent I mean look at this in lockdown homeschooling parenting it, it's hard it really is and I truly believe that everybody does their best 
with the resources that they have available to them but i just i do firmly believe that some people just have a deeper level of understanding of how life actually works mm. you know and um some people said you know that i've worked before i wish there was a book on parenting or you know no one's ever told us this but there are there are there is there is resources out there are resources out there you know i did a, a parenting program a couple of years ago called incredible years uh and it was devised by a lady called carolyn webster stratton and then her work was informed by a guy called albert bandora i don't know if you've heard of him no so he introduced something called social learning theory and it was something that was very, very relevant to me when I was doing my teaching degree and all those years ago when I was teaching and then it came it's always been in, it's always been there but it came more back into the fray when I was doing my masters because social learning theory is, is everything about how we learn socially interactions interpretations it's all there so the, when I got introduced to do this parenting program I was very dismissive of it at first and then I, I realised that it was devised from the work of Albert Wendell and then my ears pricked up and I was like wow I want to know more about this and I did and it literally again complemented with everything else that I've done in my life on my journey over the last kind of let's say you know seven eight years or so it's really helped to inform not only my parenting but my teaching but my therapy work and you mentioned as well before it's about paying forward what we learn we share oh yeah good practice you know resources whatever you know let's let's share authors let's share books and the more we can inform each other the more we can kind of help each other it yeah. really is about that yeah, yeah so it's never about you know just because i know this i'm not going to tell anybody no I want to share it and this is what the beautiful thing about doing the work that I, I'm, 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 I feel humbled to be able to do is to share yeah absolutely yeah it's incredible that motivation you have once you go through something and you get through it mm. and you think oh I made it through that it certainly makes you far more empathetic mm. um, and that's part of the reason I think you and I have connected so much mm. is because you really have shared with me and I've shared with you and in you sharing you've kind of utilized your past and everything that you've learned and you're putting it in to helping me mm. <laughs> and other people mm. and there's nothing more powerful than that because you often see it when a tragedy happens if a parent loses a son to a disease or something mm. they might start a foundation in their name or charity mm. Mm. and just do as much as they can to turn you know that darkness into something that sheds some light mm. and and that's where the gratitude comes in right yeah absolutely and i truly believe this as well like out of the most darkest of days can come the most like well actually put it the other way around out of the most darkest of nights Mm. can come the brightest of days out of the most horrific of circumstances of experiences can come the most pleasurable outcomes so it's opposites isn't it it's yin and yang you know out of dark can come light it's it's what happens it's what happens it's what can happen that's really so can. beautiful man yeah i think that's a wonderful place to finish on i'd love to finish on like a like a real kind of empowering note is there a story that you have or anything that you'd like to just finish up on and say? I don't know. I'm looking at the painting on the wall. I'm just reminded of like the beauty that is in everything around us that we see, but is often so overlooked because I think people are so consumed in what's happening around them, but not noticing what's happening, you know, for them. Um, the book that I introduced you to, The Promise of a New Day. Oh, that's lovely. Um, so great. You know, when you speak about gratitude, you know, psychologically, you know, scientifically, the, the, the impact, neurologically, the impact that starting your day with, with gratitude has, it's, oh, it's immeasurable. <laughs> it really is. And it's something that I really encourage the people I work with to do every morning is to read you know the daily reading from the promise of a new day and even you know writing down three things that you're grateful for not even thinking about them but writing them you know it has such has so much more of an impact when something is is there in it black really and does. white 
It really does. Yeah. And you, we've come to this before. I remember I called you up once and you were like, how are you? And I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know? And before that was this scary thing because I thought, you know, I've, I've been depressed many a times um, and I'm depressed now, I guess you could say. But it was, it was the fact that I, when I'm depressed, I think that I know what's going to happen. And you were in the car when you were checking in on me. And I said to you, yeah, like I was riding my bike to school this morning. I thought I was going to have a normal day at school and I had a puncture. Mm. I had to get an Uber back. Mm. And before that would have been like, oh my God, why is this happening to me? And then I thought, oh my God, you know, this is the universe telling me mm. you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. <laughs> and it became this just same circumstance, totally different thoughts mm. about it. Mm. And then you were like, Literally, I'm on in the car right now. I'm on the motorway. I could just swerve right in. Who knows what's going to happen? And is that something you live by, that excitement? Because you don't know what's going to happen. And that could be one of two things. Yeah, but you just allow it, don't you? Like, we speak about the higher power. We speak about the faith. We speak about whether it, people believe in a God. But for me, I do believe in the universe. That, that's what I believe in that, and you and I agree on this and I know many people out there do as well that we are part of something that's way bigger than us you know way bigger than us so just I'm not saying to like let go it's not like if you imagine a tug of war and stuff I'm not saying to let go of the rope but I'm just saying like just loosen your grip a little bit just what would that be like when we don't have expectation what would that be like when we can just you know allow you know life to happen just let it be and how much more freeing how much more aware how much more awake how much more present how much more are we just connected because that's what it's about fundamentally it's about connection to ourselves to to our thoughts it's all about connection it really is and the more we can become connected the more we can become you know securely attached to who we are who we are meant to be yeah Man, thank you so much, mate. Um, You're welcome. For the podcast, but also for being such a great friend. Like, I really, really appreciate it. No, you're welcome. And it's a pleasure just to be able to talk. And I love your format of just having a conversation and not, you know, being asked questions. This is, I just love the flow. Ah, I really do. Thanks, man. So I thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Cool. So there we go. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. As always, please do subscribe as I have so much content to come. This episode, there were so many references and I just put it all in the description. If you are interested to explore further what Thomas was talking about, do check out the description if you've got so many links there into all the different areas that we covered. Have a lovely day, everyone. As always, give me an email, uh, any thoughts, any ideas, just anything really. I'd love to hear from you. It's always such a pleasure. So... Have a lovely day and I'll see you all soon. Bye guys.